Hey guys, Barry Magliotti here, uh, back for another episode of The Comeback Game, Inspired and Unstoppable. Uh, today I have James Shramko, who's the founder and CEO of Superfast Business. He's also an Amazon best-selling author of the book, Work Less, Make More. Uh, and he's currently living in Manly in Sydney. James, how are you doing today? Good, thanks very much. Always a great day when the waves are on. Waves are on, you got to surf in today, mate? Oh yeah, every day. Yeah. Well, look, I'm really, I'm really excited to kind of dive down a little bit more. Um, you know, I've been following you for a while and I know that you've got quite a large uh, following and audience. And, you know, from the outside looking in, it seems like you've very much achieved um, what a lot of people would call is like the work-life balance uh, in terms of like, it looks like you get plenty of surfing in. Uh, I know that your company uh, is very successful and, and consistently growing. I'd love to dive down a little bit more um, before we get into to kind of life now is let's go back a few years. Like, was it always like this for you? Like, what, what was your background before moving into the space of business and entrepreneurship? Uh, well, depends how far back you want to go. I presume we're somewhere after crayons at preschool, but maybe before quitting my job. <laughs> the last <laughs> job that I held was as a general manager in a Mercedes-Benz dealership, but I'd worked my way up to that through a pathway um, initially starting out in debt collection through to credit, through to technology as an administrator. And then I was having my first kid, so I needed to make a lot more money. And I got a sales job at a BMW dealership, actually after a Toyota dealership rejected me. So that would be a setback mm. if you want to start chalking them up. And wow. uh, from, BM from BMW, I went quite well with sales and a couple of years later I traded across to Mercedes-Benz and I stayed there um, for the rest of my career. I went from sales to sales management to general management, but in three separate dealerships. And by that stage I'd started my yeah. business on the side, which is now my main business after letting go of the job. And it's actually 10 years to yeah. this month. So it's a 10 year anniversary. Well, happy anniversary. Thank you. So what was the inspiration for starting the business on the side? Was it that moment that, uh, you know, you guys were, were having your first child? What was the inspiration to starting a business on the side? When I was a kid, my parents had a financial setback and this was in the, the recession. Mm. And that was when I started my working career. I was about 20, I think, mm. uh, when I went and got a full-time job. So they lost all their money, most of it. And so here I am as a general manager and we're in the, the um, gosh, we must be year 2006 or seven or eight, sometime around then there's another financial crisis looming, American financial institutions collapsing with bad credit loans, uh, subprime lending, et cetera. And uh, some of the, the big companies going broke. And I was starting to feel the pressure. I've, I was reading about entrepreneurial stuff. I'd been following the Gary Halbert letter and reading books from Jay Abraham. And I realized there was another way. And then I sort of connected this idea that my customers who were buying the Mercedes Benz were predominantly business owners and not employees, not all, but most. I was selling cars to people like Jamie Packer and Bob Hawke and uh, Jeff Fennick, like, you know, interesting people who had um, done quite well in their various segments, even Russell Crowe. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole other story, but there was also um, 
this phenomenon that that I could see print media and traditional agencies were starting to fade. Like my parents at some point were in the travel business and people yeah. started booking their own airfares online and stopped going to the travel agency. And then customers were walking into the showroom and they knew all about the new models before we got told from the manufacturer because they were on the internet. And I just thought it would be really good if I could sell stuff online to someone anywhere in the world, that would be a good opportunity for someone with skills in sales because as it stood, I could really only build my dealership up to be the best of its class within the competitive range. Like someone can hop in their car and drive 30 minutes and be at any one of our seven direct competitors or any one of our 50 near competitors, you know, Mm. like, they could buy the same Mercedes Benz just down the road from us at another dealership. It was really tough. So I thought this is going to be something I should learn. So I was driven to have my own business and I didn't know what I would sell, but I did think about what am I good at? And one thing was a customer asked me to teach his sales team how to sell. Cause I dealt with this guy, he bought a number of cars from me. And he said, listen, my team are hopeless. I keep buying cars from you. Whatever you're doing to me, can you teach my team to do that for our customers? And I I smiled, but I actually went to my boss and I said, is it okay if I sell this guy some sales training? I'll do it on my day off. I'll take annual leave or whatever. He said, it's fine, but make sure you charge enough. So that was good. And I charged $4,000 for a half day workshop and I invoiced him. I, I registered a business. I, I did up a invoice in my word doc at work, you know, 001. <laughs> and then uh, did the training. I bought a laptop with the 4,000. So that was like my first capital investment, reinvested the whole lot back into the business. And I did my presentation on this laptop. I prepared it. I went into, deliver it from a half day training. And when we got there, the cabinet with the projector was locked and they couldn't open it. Luckily I'd printed out some handouts and I delivered the training off handouts without even using a laptop. But now I had this laptop and that's the thing that I started my online business with, which is about 12 and a half years ago now. Yeah. Wow. Like, interesting, it seems like from a very early age, um, at least 12 and a half years ago, there was an entrepreneurial flair or at least a sales you know, flair within you. Were you one of these kids growing up that had the lemonade stand or, or you know, were selling cigarettes to the local school kids? Like, like was it something that exists inside of you? I had this rare situation where when I was 12, I read a book on sales, which is just a weird book to read when you're 12 and it was only because it was like a midnight flight from Perth back to Sydney there was nothing left on the bookshelf and I was wide awake because <laughs> I'd been drinking um, coke all day <laughs> I was there for a sailing competition and the guys would drink beer and they'd buy me a coke every time they got around so I'd end up with six cokes and then they shipped me off to the airport so I read this book from start to finish on the way home And then I sort of forgot about it, but I realized I'd started to incorporate some of the (laughs) understanding of the sales language. Um, Even then I would um, trade, uh, like even the the guys would sometimes slip me a bourbon and Coke 
and I would detect that it tasted different. So I would give it to the other, other kids, the other 12 year olds when we're playing marbles and I'd get them drunk and then I'd win the marbles. So maybe I was a little bit entrepreneurial. Yeah. <laughs> but I did think- buy and sell a lot of cars as a kid. I was so interested in cars. Really? Uh, yeah. When I was um, in, in year seven, so I was about 13, uh, two mates and I hopped on a bus after school. We went off to a Sydney suburb called Randwick and we met this old Italian guy who advertised his Volkswagen in the paper and he'd advertise it for like $300. And we, we formed a partnership. So the three of us, it was like a 16 year old and two 13 year olds. We beat this guy down to a hundred bucks. We paid uh, $33 each, gave him a hundred dollars. He sold us his old Volkswagen, which he couldn't register anymore. And I convinced my dad to get a car trailer to bring it home. And we set about uh, un- taking off the shell. We actually ground off the bolts and lifted the shell off. And the old Volkswagen is like a, a chassis with an engine and, and wheels. And you can, we, we bought some metal pipe for $25. And we created a, a roll cage for it with a pipe bender and a welder. And we built this thing into like a mad max rally car. And then we took it to my friend's farm and it lived there for the next like 15 years. It was there forever. We lost touch with one of the partners and years later, even after I was married with kids, my mate said, Oh, we've, I've sold that car for $450 and we split it half each because we didn't know where the third partner was. But I guess that's one of my longer term little uh, investments that paid off. And we got to thrash that car. I mean, everyone else rolled it or crashed it into something except for me. And uh, it was, I guess that's entrepreneurial, but I bought and sold cars like, like people have hot dinners. Like I would see something on the side of the road and door knock till I found the owner of it and like give him $400 to take it away. And then I'd register it and paint it and sell it for $2,700. I always had two cars at once. And, um, and then I ended up with a lawn mowing round when I bought this utility from a real estate agent. He said, I don't have my ute anymore. So uh, would you be interested in mowing the lawn for some of the, the properties or removing rubbish? And I yeah. said, sure. And I, I got one and then I built up a whole lawn mowing run from that. Cause every time I'd mow the lawn, I'd knock on the doors around and say, I'm, I'm mowing next door. Would you like me to mow your lawn for 10 bucks? And, and they'd say, yeah, sure. And then I'd, I'd say, well, I can do this every week, but it's like $20. And then I'd put them on the rounds. It, it worked out great, but I had a major setback. Uh, one day I came to mow the houses and they had like hoarding up and a developer's sign. Someone had bought the whole block and they put a retirement home on it. So I lost my whole run in, uh, in one go. So yes, yeah, so I guess I was entrepreneurial, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought I'm the typical lemonade stand kid. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I've always been curious about, I was having a conversation with um, a fellow entrepreneur yesterday. Do you believe that, you know, talent and entrepreneurship is something that's bred? Like, is it born into us at a young age or is it something that, that move forwards and we learn and we study and we evolve, but is it something that's bred into us or is it something that people can go out there and learn? I don't know. If you think about logically, you know, some people wear glasses uh, because they're born with a, a vision situation. I'd have to think that some of it is born. And maybe if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I wouldn't mm. be sure. But 
um, now that I've been more interested in things like understanding DNA and I've discovered my great grandfather's diaries and read through them, this guy was like me um, multi-generations ago, except he didn't have websites and he couldn't travel the world from Skype. He was getting on boats and going to Russia and buying land and then going to America and selling it as a gold mine. And he had silver mines in Australia. He co-founded the, the Sydney Stock Exchange or was a member of it. Uh, he had a huge house in, in Mossman. He was very wealthy in his time. And this is my, my dad's mum's dad. And as I read yeah. his diaries, like he would, he was basically blogging. He was journaling in his diary, but not publishing it. And he was buying and selling. He was doing geo arbitrage, which is exactly what I do with the team in the Philippines, uh, building products and services and selling them in the Western world. It's exactly, you know, I'm not the original in my family for that, but there was a whole sort of generation missed that somehow. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because recently um, I was talking to one of my one of my earlier uh, mentors, who's done a lot of study in the realms of uh, peak performance, human behaviour, NLP for some forty five fifty years now. Uh, Carl Buchheit from the states, and you know what he was sharing with me is that as well as a lot of uh, inherent DNA that can pass through generations, you know things like diabetes and so forth that have the ability to even jump generations generations it's been proven that that energetic dna for us which is exactly what you mean it's like reading your, your grandfather's diaries almost like reading your own blog posts yeah. how how has that also um affected you and you feel challenged you in a sense of you know it's not just the good stuff that comes through it's not just this entrepreneurial flair of success we also take on board sometimes these limited or negative belief patterns or these challenges like what have been some of the challenges that you've noticed would it be through like, I don't know, like I'm curious to know, did you find through reading his journals, some, some severe challenges or experiences that your grandfather had to overcome? And have you also seen similar patterning within your journey as well? He had amazing experiences. He, he would, he was in like the jungles of West Africa and he hired some guys to help him do work. And then they came across another group and the other group was trying to kill his workers because he realized uh, he wrote something like the penny dropped that these people had used to work for this guy and they kind of robbed him and left. And now he, he looked like he's harboring criminals. So yeah, I'm sure he had some challenges, but he, he also discovered things yeah. like uh, that they were drinking coconut water and feeling re revitalized. Now you could go along to your local yoga studio. You'll find it in the refrigerator, but this is a hundred years ago. That's what fascinates me. Um, yeah. I know what you're saying about the, you know, what bad attributes could you inherit? But, but I do think a lot is learned too. I actually feel like I reprogrammed myself from the traditional upbringing that I had, a very loving, caring, normal, ordinary family household scenario. Like I wasn't the son of a crack whore or something like that. Like there are people with far worse adversities who have overcome them, whether it's Henry yeah. Ford or what have you, a lot of the super successful people have had super adversity. And I think that shapes and forms them. I've had some challenges. There's been moments yeah. as an adult that I've been um, pushed against the wall mm. and, and felt mm. uh, a, a very emotional state. Uh, there was definitely one. It was my second last job where 
I'd built this business up from scratch. It, it took four years of blood, sweat and tears. To We went from the worst performing dealership to the best. Mm. And we had the, we had, I inherited six crappy salespeople and we ended up with a, a powerful team of 21 people. It was like a lion pack. They were amazing. And we were killing it. And the owner of that business was uh, extreme bipolar personalities, my opinion. And uh, he was difficult and he was having a war with his other business partner. So I learned a lot about partnerships through this. Anyway, we went on some dealership cruise and he got really angry and started drinking a lot. And in the end, he, he, he called me names and verbally abused me. And then he even spat on me. And wow. he said, go and get another job. He, 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 he said that I was, um, I was too talented. And it, it, you know, they, the, the people love me and hate him. And he was taking it really personally. So I remember feeling how upset I was. I, I was basically, I was so vulnerable. I'm like providing for four kids and a wife and I've got a mortgage and now I have to get another job. It's like, here's what happened to my dad mm. about to happen. And I fielded a job with the competitor with BMW across the road. And they were offering me a job to go and run their dealership. So I rang up this guy in head office and I said to him, I just wanted to say thank you. I've, I've spent more than a decade with this company. I love the brand and I'm not leaving the brand because of anything uh, from Mercedes-Benz. It's, it's just that I can't work where I'm working because this guy is a maniac. And they knew all about this guy. And he said, James, don't leave. We'll, we will create a job for you at head office and pay you just to turn up while we find you a job, even if it takes a year. And, and I remember just welling up with tears. I was in my car, but just to feel that support in a time of mm. crisis. And it's, it's hard as a man who's strong and I'd conquered a tough industry to be pushed against the ropes like that. It was very challenging. And he actually, they rang up another dealer and they said to this guy, you've got to hire this person, take him on board, pay him more than he was getting paid and hire him now. I went for an interview, they accepted me and that was my last job for four years. And I, again, I turned that dealership around and I got another four years, but you can bet that the countdown time was on. I had to get my own business because I never wanted to be in that position again. And to some extent, I think I've probably forgotten about this scenario, but it's only the premise of your show that's forced me to dig back into the archives and think about the very difficult situations. Cause normally, you'd probably think that I haven't had that many challenges if you listen to me too much. Yeah. And, and looking back now though, like having that chance for reflection, because I honestly believe, like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure your, your beliefs. Um, I think based on a few conversations we've had, there is a lot of similarities, but you know, I honestly believe personally, if I look back in my life, like the greatest challenges of the greatest adversities I've had have actually been the best experience of my life. Like I look back at the, the, the moments in life where it's like, oh, this is amazing. And at the time that was like the most horrific, even to this day, it's probably one of the most horrific things that ever happened to me. But I look back now with, with such gratitude and appreciation for creating that experience because without it, there's no way in hell I'd be where I am right now. And I'm not sure your kind of take on that, but you know, as we are having a chance to look back, if you look back over the last 10 years of your life, the last 15 years of your life, like how has 
those experiences, maybe even probably a bit further because you've been doing this for, for 12 and a half odd years, you, you, you said, even a bit further, like if you look back now, like how do you feel that those experiences and going through them has actually helped create the, the foundation and the structure for, you know, not only who you are today, but what is you stand for and, you know, what is you create out there in the community? Yeah, I think it's um, absolutely critical. I, I remember justifying it at the time with uh, thinking that the hardest steel is forged in the hottest fire. And I really feel like I became a, an Excalibur sort of sword. Like the amount of hardship and difficulty that I experienced in that job. And I just talked about this on a recent episode of my own podcast, uh, which was a reflection on 10 years. And at that time, it's tough, but it does shape you for sure. It's, and I reframe these things as an investment in experience. So if you lose money on a business venture or you have a difficult relationship that you have to overcome in, in life, then it's just an investment in experience. As one of my mentors would say, like, it's like touching hot plates in the kitchen. You know, if you only do it once, you know where they all are and then you can avoid them from now on. And yeah. uh, I, I feel that those years in the dealership geared me up perfectly for what I'm doing now because when I'm coaching high-level individuals online, they haven't had some of the hard lessons that I've had. I've had staff steal like $38,000 in a single day. I've had people arrested in the showroom, <laughs> like trying to sell us a, a stolen car, all sorts of crazy stuff. And you know, I've been woken up at four in the morning when the alarm's going, everything you can imagine, the responsibility, the level of pressure. I actually still occasionally get a little nightmare and my nightmare would be that I'm still working in a car dealership. It's so oppressive and wow. so difficult. But I think it means circulating around in regular everyday life is a walk in the park. It's, it's easy for me to deal with everyday regular situations because I've, I've had to call up people and explain to them that their $468,000 car that they've waited six months for got knocked off from the storage yard last night and they're no longer going to be able to get it. <laughs> like just, just some uh, very difficult situations. Yeah. What do you feel um, like if you were just to kind of define your, your top three kind of, success principles because i'd love to ask this question before we kind of jump into you know working less and making more um which i know is something that, that you stand for and, and wrote a best-selling book around what do you feel uh you know look looking at the last 20 years of your life like what do you what do you think of those three kind of fundamental success principles or way in which you consistently live your life that has created you know the life that you now live well i think of words like no compromise you know, for, for all the manic craziness that my psycho boss had, I'd say a good solid foundation of the principles that are strong for me now came from him. Mm. Uh, like he would force me to watch General Patton. Uh, he, he was a different type of being. Like he was, he had no office. And this is quite revolutionary back then. Yeah. This is, we're talking about, 15 to 20 years ago he had no office he had no phone he would handwrite notes to me every night that i'd wait you know come into the office and read he was old school he had like 20 pairs of rm williams that were shined within an inch of their life 
he used to walk around the repair shop and he knew everything about every car and every stage it was at. And he'd find out when's the car due and, and the, the mechanic would say Tuesday. Then he'd go into the office and he'd tell the service advisor, call this customer and tell them their car's going to be ready on Friday. And I'd say, the guy just said Tuesday. He goes, yeah, well, when we ring them up on Wednesday or Thursday and say it's ready early, the customer's going to be very excited. But this guy was all about no compromise. Now, in the end, it cost him everything. But yeah. uh, he also taught me the concept of brinkmanship. So it's how far you can take something to the point where it doesn't completely destroy. Uh, he, he mainly taught me that by going past it. <laughs> but the, the thing is with no compromise, we don't have to accept this nine to five, Monday to Friday malarkey. I mean, who, that was invented for the textile era when we were training people to go and man a machine. And then they invented schools so they could get the kids busy while they got the mum and dad on the machine. So we don't need these old, old things. It's still blows my mind that we wear ties or even the school I went to, they still wear a straw hat, a boater. Are you kidding me? So I think the no compromise thing is, is a, is a strong foundation. If you're looking for another one, I might, I might um, catch myself saying, if not now, when, and this is really something that helped me be better at cleaning up after myself and, and having more discipline, you know, am I going to put the fins on the surfboard or go and get the surfboard from the, the garage or wax it up or whatever? I might as well just do it now. If not now, when, you know, just, I just roll forward with it with no friction and I just get stuff done so I can do more stuff than other people in the same amount of time yeah. because I just accept that it's going to have to get done. So people who procrastinate or have a real problem with implementation could probably benefit from that one. Yeah. And the other one is, is um, question everything. Like I'm always curiously questioning things. It kind of fits in with the principle of Kaizen, the constant improvement. Um, we should relook at things and, and get perspective. I think things like travel have helped me do that. Yeah. I switch between countries fairly often. I, I live in two countries at the moment. And when I'm in the other country, it just gives me that perspective. I'm looking at the world like from a different hemisphere. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I so, question. No, no, sorry. On. Please continue. Please continue. No, no. It's just, it's just like, you know, you go from left-hand drive to right-hand drive. You go, you, you live in a different climate, like winter, summer. It's like really fascinating to reassess from time to time and, and to just clean up and, and um, embrace change. Uh, which I guess it's, is it being unfair to squeeze four in there? I guess I'm questioning your rule of three, but change is something that I really, really am passionate about because it's something we can bank on and yeah. change is my friend. I embrace change. I celebrate, I seek change because I'm comfortable with it. I'm the hardened steel out of the hot fire. So I can, if someone comes at me with a stick, I'll just snap it. They just look at my sword and run away. <laughs> so it changes what people, it, it catches people, change gets people stuck. Yeah. It, it means they hang on to things. They get caught up by sunk cost. Yeah. They resist things that will stretch them or make them uh, a little bit uncomfortable, like gliding into the icy water during winter for my surf. Yeah. I used to be a, a real scaredy cat about that. And now like Wim Hof, I just cruise into it and don't even think about it. 
and like five minutes later, I'm as warm as a, as a sauna. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, w- I want to dive into that a little bit more, like the lifestyle aspect. Um, I actually went to the chirotherapy yesterday. You know, they, they put you in a room of like minus 110 degrees. And it's interesting. Um, a few of the guys that I was with were saying the hardest part was the thought of it before it happened. Yeah. And, it's, and, and I think that's the case with anything in life is that the pain is in the procrastination. The pain is in the thought of what it might be or what it could be, not what it actually is. And I like that, you know, question, if not now, well, when? Um, but I want to dive into a little bit around your lifestyle. You talk about living in two countries. And, you know, I suppose for the last few years, you know, we've worked with a lot of people helping them to uh, achieve that, helping them to achieve more money and more time. I know that's something that you're super passionate about. And, you know, one thing that I've noticed a lot is that you can help somebody get to go and get more time back. But if there's not a psychological shift on the inside, they end up filling that time just doing something else. You know, it's like we all always use what's available to us. And one massive turning point for me was the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And in there, he talks about how most people buy into society to society's goals. And you look at a lot of these people online, they talk about needing to hustle. They talk about, you know, if you want to be successful, you need to get up at 3am, you need to work an 18 hour day, sleep for two hours and do it all again. And I don't know about you, but that's something that just doesn't sit right with me. And it's like, why would I sacrifice 20 years of my life or time with my kids or time with my partner, why to sacrifice any of that to build a business? Why not, why not build a business that provides me the lifestyle along the way? And so I'd really love to get your take on how you've actually created a company. Cause I know that you've got a ton of staff uh, and I know that you've created a business that allows you to surf, you know, every day if you choose and spend an abundance of time with, with the people that you love. So I'd love to know a little bit around, around your take. Has it always been like that? Has it been something you've transitioned to? And just your view and your beliefs around, um, you know, how you've created that for yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, it's outrageous, the concept of working 19-hour days. I did that for about two and a half years when I had a full-time job and a family to provide for. And I wanted to have my own business and I believed in, in it and I backed myself. And it was a struggle. Yeah. And I was lucky to get a little bit of validation from some other people i remember going to a dinner where mike phil same said buddy you'll be making 100 grand a month in no time uh, because he believed in me and I, I remember thinking gosh well if mike phil same thinks i can do it maybe maybe i can no he was a big deal at that time mm. uh, he was making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month and i wasn't <laughs> so uh, yeah I, I really think there is an upfront phase of having to, to chop down the trees and make the fire wood. It's, it's, and cart it back to the log cabin and learn how to build the fire. The difference is once you know how to do that and you get it going and you know, it's sort of stoked, that's when you get some choice. Do you, do you want to kick back and have a cognac or read a book by the fireplace? Or do you want to just go out and lug trees all day just because you've got some weird, uh, desire to do that so mm-hmm. you know you think of two two things here one uh, Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week when I read that and I had a job and a family I'm thinking it, it's great but you're a single dude in your 20s or whatever how hard could life possibly be for you yeah. compared to an average family so you know yeah. living in Sydney so it was like forget about it um but there's some good lessons in there, right? 80, 20. Yeah. I now like the book more than I did when I first read it. Secondly, I think of Gary V who's got some obsession to buy a football team and he 
very proudly, quite contradictory though. He does talk about how he grinds in 19 hour days. And then he talks about having the weekends with the family and how family's everything. But he also told them um, if it ever came down to business or family, it's always business first. So it's very confusing for someone to follow along with that. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to catch up with people if they, if they burn the candle twice as bright, uh, as long. There's a lot of science around sleep and I've, I've been there and I've researched it. And yeah. there's also, uh, there's also a lot of science around that fear thing, you know, people worrying and stressing about stuff that may never even happen. It's better to be pragmatic. I think <laughs> wait till you've got a reason to be scared if possible. And, uh, and to acknowledge that as humans, technology's raced ahead faster than we're capable of dealing with. We still have that reptilian brain driving a lot of our choices. This need to conform with the herd. And uh, wow. that stops us from differentiating and doing, cutting our own path. Because in the old days, it would mean we're dead. Uh, now, it just means that we have a better chance to survive, probably. Yeah. And, and I think this comes back to point, I think it was point two that you raised around, um, you know, questioning everything. It's like often, often um, we see people that don't stop to question why they're doing what they're doing. Like you talk about going and cutting the wood, that's great. Yet if we don't take the time to actually stop and gain perspective and realize that our business is not at that startup stage anymore, our business doesn't require us to go out to the forest every day, we continue doing it out of necessity or out of habit. So you should set um, reset buttons, you know, like um, I learned to, to plan out, say like you're at Grand Central Station and where do you want to go to and map out the stations. But when you, in advance, you work out, will I be happy when I get there? That's a good thing to do. And it's an exercise I take my students through. When, we're, when they come along, like invariably, when I'm coaching someone who's making 2 or $3 million a year, I can guarantee you their first stated goal will be they want to make $10 million a year. That it's like always every single time and then we talk about it what what happens at 10 million dollars a year that you can't have at five just let's talk that through let's talk about the relationships you have the, the amount of money in your bank account the house you live in the car like if you want to claw it right back yes i think a lot of people are, are they've been imprinted by their parents you go to school go to university you get married, have kids, have a mortgage. And, you know, I've done some of those things. I wasn't smart enough to go to university for more than a semester. I went as a mature student and I still failed the first semester. Um, I didn't even pass my school <laughs> HSC. So um, I, I was probably a huge disappointment to my parents, um, especially when I got a job in debt collection. And, uh, but, but, you know, I came good, luckily. And I just yeah. spoke to my mum before our call today. I still have a great relationship with my parents. And yeah, I do think they're, they're living the parents' dream. It's, it's, it's the Western way. But what, when, when we factor this new sort of idea that uh, in 10 years from now, half the jobs that school and university are training people for will simply not exist, we really got to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your advice to anyone out there today who's listening to this uh, or, or watching this that is maybe going through a few challenges in their business and in their life and is looking to take it the next level? Like what's, what's, what's your advice to take that, take that next step? Well, that would be a, that would be an opportune moment to mention my book. 
<laughs> no, it's, I'm being cheeky here um, because, you know, I've got four kids and they're, they're at the age, I mean, they're at the age where they're between 15 and 22. Yeah. And, and when I was, when I was thinking about where I've gotten to now, I thought this is a good time to, to compile these ideas into something that I would want to give my kid and say, just read this, whatever you want to do. Uh, my, my kids are taking very, very different paths. It's kind of a, a long experiment, 20 year long experiment that they're, they're doing things from rock bands to vet science at uni to uh, a, a gamer to a mechanic, like very uh, pretty widespread out of the four. But the lessons in the book are to help them reduce the overwhelm, to to get a, a new mindset around choosing the things that, that they choose to do, not worrying so much about most of the things that people say you have to worry about. I mean, that, that's the fact. Even if you look at 80-20, that's, a, that's an indicator. But you dig deeper, you realise that two-thirds of the stuff that you are getting is coming off 4% of your inputs like almost, almost so few things create most of the results you're getting. Mm. And if that happens to be bad results, then you might want to change those inputs a bit. Mm. So mate, you haven't plugged the book. What's the book? How can people, uh, how can people get in touch? There it is there. It's uh, work less, make more. It's on Amazon and it's good value. Um, it's about to be on audible too which is good. And uh, of course I have a website, superfastbusiness.com and there's a lot of podcasts. I think we're almost up to 600. I think you're actually the podcast king. (laughs) No, I just, I mean, I don't even like the sound of my own voice, truthfully. Uh, It's just that I started early and just kept doing it. I've been consistent with it. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, James, any final thoughts for the, uh, for the viewers out there before we wrap things up? It's been an absolute pleasure and uh, we could most definitely talk for days, I feel. Well, I had the same situation earlier. I was speaking to someone from my own podcast. And, you know, like, I know how hard it is doing your job. So my, my main thoughts are you're doing a great service for your audience and I appreciate the opportunity to come along and dredge out these hard luck stories. But the, the good news is it worked out okay in the end. Yeah, it always works out okay in the end. Awesome, James. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, for any of the viewers or listeners, if there's been something that's resonated with you, would love if you want to uh, tag, share or, or like this and, and share it around. Uh, and uh, look, if you love just chatting with James, we'd love to, to hear that as well. And maybe we can look to uh, convince him to come back on board at a later stage as well. James, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Barry. Cheers.